You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of First Contact Reflections, Part 2 of 2, an original story by Ryan Johnson, performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson. If you enjoy this performance, please subscribe, leave a comment, or review. A little under three days later, Arid returned to the hangar. Captain Ceylon introduced Arid to the small support team. Only one technician was required for the mission, but there were additional system experts on hand in case the probe malfunctioned. Due to the pioneering nature of what they were doing, details of the plan had only been shared between the Council, Arid, Captain Ceylon, and the probe build team. All the support team knew was that they were engaging a borderline next civilization. Savon, informed them the probe was only a few light-time particles away from the human ship. Are we sure they can't detect us at this distance? asked Arid. I'm positive, sir, replied the technician. They're on the other side of this ionized gas nebula, but they'll notice us as we get closer. Good. The first part of this show will be our dramatic entrance. Enable the hollow projection then head right for them once we're in sensor range. If they turn and run, don't follow. We want to keep them imbalanced, but not provoked. Understood, sir. And stay in FTL for a few moments after they see us. We want it to look like we simply stumbled across each other. Let's hope they don't open fire in the first few seconds. The technician said, mostly to himself. Arid smiled, but kept his attention on the view screen. The team was tense as they waited for the two ships to come within range of each other. When the fateful moment arrived, they were not disappointed. The human ship was sleek and angular, with a pointed bow. Its surface was polished to a mirror's shine. The probe's visage wasn't nearly as sexy, looking like a dark-hued, misshapen piece of fruit. In the artist's defense, it was designed with the human's history in mind to appear unthreatening. Send out the standard first contact translation package. All frequencies. Technician Savon interrupted, sounding defensive. We haven't modified the communications package for their language yet, though. We were never told to. It's fine. Arid reassured. We don't want to be that direct. It's all a part of the dance. We just have to look like we made the attempt. Confused but placated, Sabon returned to facing his terminal. Arid gave the humans a few cinnaparticles to attempt to decode the transmission, then proceeded. Command the probe to print the communications relay, and keep sending the broadcast. On loop. It'll buy us some time for the extruder to do its work. Make the relay look like it's being dropped out of the airlock, then give them a wide berth to inspect it. The electronic components inside taxed the probe much more than Arid's statue, requiring a few cinnaparticles to produce the relay. Once complete, the probe backed away, giving everyone else on the first contact team a good look at the odd device. Um, sir, what is that? Asked Technician Savon. Grinning, Arid responded, That's our Rosetta Stone. Maintain a constant link between it and the probe. We're betting the humans will inspect it. 
They'll soon realize it's a translator. It's their second test. They pass the first one with flying colors. Arid's tone turning ironic. What was the first? Not shooting on sight. Arid replied nonchalantly. If that's the case, couldn't we have made it more friendly looking? It looks like a large child's toy, but covered in spikes. We're still leading the dance, just ratcheting up the tension. That design is very intentional. The communications equipment inside is all standard. Its design is meant to look questionable. They won't think it's strange we need a six-foot diameter device to do the same translation a wrist-mounted assistant could do? From what I've studied, their curiosity should overpower any apprehension. This is a test of how important a first contact situation is to them, and to gauge their tolerance for differences. It should look like an old naval mine or a bomb to them, but to an alien civilization, it could be a theme park ride. We're seeing if they're willing to overcome their innate fear. Exasperation at the technician's constant questioning started in Arid's voice, but faded off. The team let out a modest cheer when they saw a suited figure exit the human ship on an intercept vector with a communications relay. Shortly after, the human ship proceeded to back away as well. Arid didn't join in on the token celebration. He recorded some notes on his terminal, then returned his attention to the view screen. The team waited patiently while the human coasted out to the device and cautiously inspected it with their scanning equipment. To the human's credit, it didn't take long for them to interface their scanner with the device and head back to the ship. The celebration was doubled what it was before when the first communication came through. The GT had just received its first live communication with the human species. Arid couldn't help but let a smile grow on his face, even though the real work was about to begin. It took them a few attempts, but the humans eventually learned the workings of the communications relay. Arid had the privilege of being the first to talk. His communication was primarily with a human female named Dora. Their conversations were pleasant, even humorous, and he was surprised at how much they had in common. The first contact team and crew of the human ship both retired to their quarters, but Arid and Dora remained at their comm stations. Throughout the night, Arid talked with Dora, sharing details about their species and culture, but he remained as guarded about certain topics as she was. Through their conversation, Arid picked up nuances about the mindset of the humans and their captain. Dora was almost everything Arid hoped for in a new species. Intelligent, mature, tolerant, self-sacrificing, and above all, having an innate respect for life. The fact that at a certain point in their history, humans began aggressively protecting non-sentient life and the environmental integrity of their planet impressed Arid greatly. On Theosia, the sentiment had come too late. Almost all but the most invasive species were extinct. There were plenty of zoos, some natural preserves, and even cloning programs to bring certain species back from extinction. But on a whole, Earth was much more green than Theosia. When Dora made comments about various crew members, Arid paid especially close attention. About half of them seemed to have similar temperament as her. From what Arid learned of the humans firsthand, 
Captain Ceylon's dossier was quite accurate. There was a noticeable tension in how Dora spoke to him, at least at first, enough for Error to feel confident the humans were in the expected logical emotional deadlock. The humans couldn't leave because they believed there was a possibility we could follow them home and attack their planet. This feeling was reinforced because they feel it's what they would do if they were devoid of morality. This instance of first contact had become a game of chicken. But what the humans didn't know was that the game was rigged. Over the many time particles they spent talking, Arid found himself liking Dora. But knowing that all communication between them would be recorded tempered his optimism. Arid was also aware that, like the Ozians, Dora more than likely associated mostly with those of similar mind and values, skewing his analysis. Although he was deceiving them in many ways, Arid hoped the humans were more upfront, and that the rapport he was cultivating wasn't an act. With Dora, at least, Arid was confident his instinct was correct. Until this point, the humans' actions and conversations were wary, but not aggressive. He knew the pleasant small talk couldn't last forever. Soon, it reached a point where Arid had to rattle a cage. So far, he had gotten great insight into human psychology, but Arid was getting his data from an unacceptably small sample set. The human captain, wishing to speak with their captain, provided a perfect segue. People of the other ship, I'd like to say the appropriate things about this first contact of two dissimilar civilized races, and of my hopes that a friendly intercourse between the two peoples will result, said the human captain. Captain Ceylon was present for the human captain's statement. To Arid's trained ears, they were not quite a lie, but they were far from candid. His immediate instinct was that these words were hollow. It made Arid feel less guilty about the planned response. Captain Ceylon spoke clearly to the human captain. People of that ship, what you say is all very well, but is there any way for us to let each other go home alive? I would be happy to hear of such a way if you can contrive one. In communication, Arid ordered the technician. Let that sink in with them for a while. For a few milliparticles, there was an unnatural quiet in the mission room, the rest of the team processing what Arid and the captain had just done, unaware of the psychological game they were playing. None objected, though, or at least kept their objections to themselves. They had gotten used to the twists and turns of this mission, alternating between throwing out the welcome mat and dropping tacks in their path. After a few centiparticles of what Arid suspected was furious conversation going on between the humans, he sent another message. The chief of this ship wishes to know whether the chief of that ship can suggest an answer to the problem concerning us both. I'm giving that matter my personal attention. Every effort will be bent to the solution of this problem. Will you consider a temporary truce in the meantime? Expression darkening, Arid steepled his fingers and leaned back in his chair. The mission room remained silent. The human captain's response didn't anger, but annoyed Arid. Arid may have made the first intimidating move, 
but the captain's disingenuous response wasn't the one they hoped for. It reminded him of some Theosian politicians. He knew he was going to have to push them harder. He and Captain Ceylon spoke quietly amongst themselves, then nodded in agreement. The captain responded. What would a truce gain? Could we trust you? Would you trust us? I suggest that we continue as we have up to this particle of time. The human captain agreed and signed off. It had taken many long discussions between Arid and Captain Ceylon on how they would trigger this critical component of their plan. Would the humans, when faced with their own reflection, take the higher ground or first action? And what would be that first action? Ultimately, that was what the whole charade was designed to test. Two conflicting philosophies were at war on the human ship. The one that prevailed would determine their fate. Nothing was said again about the stalemate, and the measured flow of information continued. Weeks went by, and it wasn't long before Arid cut the team members' schedules in half, keeping them on call. The majority of the team wasn't needed until the mission neared its conclusion. If possible, he didn't want to keep them from their families. The probe was stable, and with communication almost entirely between Dora and Arid, he was the only one needed on hand. However, Captain Ceylon did come by every two days for status reports. During one of their exchanges of information, the humans sent over a star chart. Arid had a good laugh at the absurdly redacted copy. He simply inverted the chart and sent it right back. He had a feeling the captain would have given him a disapproving look, but the days without progress were wearing on him, and he justified it as another mirror for the humans to examine their behavior with. If Dora had been captain of the human ship, Arid suspected this encounter would have already concluded. He continued talking to her into the night, sharing details of their families and beliefs of the outcome of the encounter. Between the genuine pleasantries, Arid maintained a common theme, reflection of the human's belief and honest resignation. The obviousness of the solution to the stalemate frustrated him at times, to the point of anger. Arid wished to yell at them, Evolve! Fight against your own worst thoughts, and we can all go home! But he knew Dora wasn't the one making the decisions. The worst part of all was that he had come to consider her a friend, and believed she, him. Even though he expressed this to her, he still had to maintain parity with their suspicion. The next morning, Captain Ceylon came to the mission hangar to check on Arid, who may have looked tired and unkempt, but his mind was still sharp. You look like you need a break, Arid. I wish I could have given you one earlier. Arid combed his fingers through his hair and leaned back heavily in his chair. I'm all right, Captain. I'm in this to the end. But I think we need to do something to move things along. It's a positive they haven't taken any rash action yet, but this constant indecision could be just as bad. Sadly, I agree. Communication with this Dora seems promising, but the statements by their ship's captain are disconcerting. The Council believes the mission has gone on long enough. They're happy with your work, 
but they think extending this much longer is fruitless. A week ago, Captain, I would have argued with you, but I'm coming to the same conclusion. I wasn't looking forward to undermining your hard work. Today, when you think it's best, we want you to reflect our awareness of the deadline your reports have hypothesized. I think we're all in agreement that will finally force their hand. I've scheduled the full team to return in a few hours to prepare the probe for the final outcome. Resigned, Arid replied. Understood, sir. And moved towards the communication console to speak with his friend for possibly the last time. The psychologist of this ship tells us that you people on that ship have a threshold of tolerance to tension. He tells us that you will be forced to take one action or another in a period of less than a hundred time particles. I have no communication on this matter, replied Dora. Well, this ship is not trying to extract unwilling information from that ship. A truth is mentioned in passing. A report of this conversation will be carried to the chief of this ship. Despite the official response, Arid felt affection towards Dora for warning him. Resigned, Arid replied, It would be so. We are prepared. If only the people of this ship could meet in direct contact with the people of that ship, it might be better. Arid appreciated the tone of desperation in her voice. He knew she had a point, but it would never be allowed by Dora's or Arid's captain. It would put them both at too much risk and provide too little insight to the human's true nature. With the next civilization, the front of an ambassadorial delegation could never be trusted. Previous experiences had proven that. If humans couldn't break through their walls of distrust and suspicion, they weren't ready to join a galactic civilization. So, Arid lied. We could not communicate then. The communications machine is too large to carry from place to place. In direct contact, the peoples of these two ships would be further apart than now. Then stopped. That's true. I am sad. Much that is pleasant has passed between us. I'm sad too. Arid thought, you are not ready for us, but said, we are not ready for each other. Dora reluctantly agreed. We are not ready for each other. Much less than a hundred time particles later, the human ship fired on the probe. An attack was always one of the planned contingencies. The probe's projectors were programmed to imitate an explosion, then cloak the probe directly after. There was, of course, no debris from the simulated explosion, but at this point, it mattered little. That ultimate, preemptive act of aggression proved the human's nature to the Council. The Galactic Trust would not be gaining a new member. The team sat in silence for a few moments. Dejected, but at the same time relieved, the marathon was over. They had one last scene to act out for the humans. It felt cruel, but was necessary. Captain Ceylon had the rest of the team head home, so that Arid and he were the only players. 
there was no point in weighing down the conscience of the other members. Although the probe was invisible now to the human ship, the communications relay was still active, allowing the humans to hear but not respond. Ceylon and Arid sat in front of the terminal with heavy hearts, but they didn't let it show in their performance. It's good to be on the way home. Yes, it is good. Do you suppose we'll ever figure out what happened to the other ship? Never. A blinding flash, and they were gone. I suppose they couldn't figure a way out of the situation. An unstable people. They had no sense of humor to cope with the situation. They exploded themselves out of existence. It seems reasonable. They must have had powerful weapons to destroy themselves so completely. Yes. What a shame. In a way, I grew to like them. Many things might have come of a relationship with that people. They were describing a disease they call cancer. I think it's similar to the Frogrin syndrome. We might have helped them. They might have helped us, too. Well, too bad. We'll never find them again, I think. The odds of such a chance meeting in the vast space of the whole universe. There are no figures for such odds. Are there? Arid disconnected the communication and stood stretching, letting out a heavy exhale. Arid, head home and get a good night's sleep. We'll debrief in the morning. I'm sorry things didn't go how we hoped. They showed such great potential, but... But we can't accept a species that innately misanthropic and quick to resort to violence, especially in that kind of situation. I know you're right, Captain, but I don't feel right. So, do you think they'll be stuck out there until they all die of old age? Trapped in a cage forged of their own paranoia? Unfortunately, I think so. But that was the intrinsic safety of our plan. If they turned out to be worth offering membership to, great. Next we would have approached them directly. If they proved unstable and violent, like they did, the scenario would be the Trust's ultimate defense. Overhearing our candid conversation, and their fear of us still being out there to follow them, should prevent them from ever going home to share their discovery. Even if they do, they fired first, and believe they won't be able to locate us again. I think that's enough encouragement for them to not search for us, and to stay away due to fear of retaliation. If it makes you feel better, the human captain was a murderer first. In intent, a mass murderer. He had no idea how many beings were aboard the other ship. And for what it's worth, if they decide to take the chance, they can head home without fear of attack on their home planet. Saying it out loud sounds absurd now that I have. How can you go through existence, assuming everyone is out to get you, and be so quick to engage in preemptive violence? That's no way for an advanced species to exist. Arid agreed with the captain through silence, just eye contact and a nod of his head. I have a feeling I'll be sleeping late tomorrow, but you can expect me around noon. I know it doesn't feel like a victory, but we've proven the protocol works. You did excellent work, Arid. It just wasn't written in the stars. 
Mission over, Arid was finally able to divulge the details to his wife. His daughter was too young to understand his burden, so he simply hugged her till she whined and gave her a kiss. His wife consoled him as he hoped she would, stroking his hair while he lay his head in her lap. She agreed with Captain Ceylon's assessment, but had no trouble empathizing with her husband's inner turmoil. Arid stood up and kissed his wife, feeling better but still melancholy. He walked over to his daughter, who was playing a few feet away from them, and sat down cross-legged in front of her. She had the cutest expression on her face, tongue between parted lips and concentration, both fingers trapped in the toy he had bought her weeks ago before the mission even started. Honey, go ahead and show her how to get out of that thing. She's been stuck in it for the last particle, although it is adorable watching her try to eat with it. Arid smiled at his wife, then looked his daughter in the eyes as he held each of her hands in his. All right, sweetie, I'm going to teach you a very important lesson in life. It's also the solution to the puzzle you're playing with. She looked at him with expectant eyes as he pushed both of her fingers together, held the tube, and extracted her now freed fingers. Her astonished expression made him laugh for the first time in weeks. He knew she was too young to truly understand, but explained anyway. Sometimes, sweetie, you have to push against your nature to solve a problem. You can't let yourself get stuck in one way of thinking, or assume your problem thinks the same way you do, even if it acts like it. Do you know what a friend of mine calls the toy I gave you? What, Daddy? A Chinese finger trap. This concludes the Auditory Entertainment's production of First Contact Reflections, Part 2 of 2, by Ryan Johnson. If you have a suggested story in the public domain, or wish to hear your work performed, please leave a comment or contact us at auditoryentertainments at gmail.com. You can also visit us at auditoryentertainments.com. Thank you for listening.